All right, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Jason Quintano with Fins and Grins Musky Charters out of St. Clair. And I know people are thinking we're going to talk St. Clair again. I don't fish St. Clair, but we talk a, li- a little bit. When I say we, I mean Brad talks a little bit or a lot of bit about, you know, multiple different things. We talk about, you know, uh, trolling bucktails. We talk about trolling itself. We talk about waypoint management, some big fish spots, pressure, different, I mean, different stuff. So if you're, if you're not fishing St. Clair, don't skip this episode necessarily especially it the the second half of the episode is mostly focused on you know the uh the other stuff the first part we talk a little bit about the current fishing for jason they put some big fish in the boat we talked about that he also recently had a you know a a tournament out there we go over that too and again like i said when i say we i mean brad this is brad's episode so finally you know brad's pulling his weight last couple episodes uh i don't know have you even been on brad (laughs) <laughs> i can't honestly answer that i guess Jeff. i think you skipped over me a couple times there which is my fault not your fault by any means been a busy summer and uh like always you always pick up the load well last week it was actually my fault because we had this scheduled with jason last week monday and then i decided to change the plans all up last minute essentially like sunday night i'm like no i think i'm going to try to rearrange this and then it didn't work out, and so we ended up having to do very last minute on Tuesday night. You or it was me and Carrie, so at least a hoppy made it in. So that's good. I mean, things are moving forward that way. So we're good. <laughs> uh, it always seems to work out. I mean, if you think about it, what episode is this, Jeff? I mean, I'm guessing it's 183 ish, maybe 184. I don't know. I think it's, I think somewhere in that ballpark. Usually I don't know until I actually go punch it in and, and upload the episode that I need to figure out for sure what episode number it is. But my guess is it's in the 180 range somewhere. Well, the beauty of it is, is we haven't skipped a week. I'd say that's a pretty solid track record. So let's not complain. Yeah. I mean, we haven't missed a week yet. And I'd like to continue that streak for a little while longer long as people want to listen to us i mean maybe they don't maybe they're like boy i hope these guys quit i'm kind of tired of this but (laughs) (laughs) well hopefully they'll let us know if they like it or don't like it right i mean both ways is better than uh not knowing and just wondering right i mean I, i get to see the download numbers every single week and it doesn't appear as though they're going away yet so they must be finding some value in it i hope if you you know if you if you want to you know if you got comments about the podcast uh, you can email us backlash podcast at gmail.com we do check that on occasion if you don't hear back from me very quickly that's just because this this is secondary you know we got to run businesses yet so that's kind of what's up speaking of businesses let's talk a little bit about those if you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventures check out team rhino outdoors.com as per usual i say it every single week the inventory keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger if you're you know it's just new colors, new baits, new styles, you know, from everybody. I, it's like I can't place an order without adding something new. So if you're if you're looking for an ever-growing inventory, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And then if you're also looking for some gear, you can check out. Oh, you want me to talk? I thought, I thought, I mean, I, I know you used up all your, I know you used up everything, you know, with this conversation with Jason, but I thought you could at least pimp your own company, right? Uh, come check out muskymayhemtackle.com. We'd love to have you as a customer and truly appreciate our customer base. You know, one of the neat things, Jeff, is what you've done with all the different custom colors. Team Rhino Outdoors definitely 
has like you've adjusted the bar, right? I mean, there's a ton of different people trying to figure out how you've done and what you've done to make this more incredible. And uh, I can't say enough about your company, and that's for sure. Well, I do appreciate that, Brad. Certainly that wasn't supposed to be about mine, but I, I appreciate it, especially coming from you, who's you know well-respected in the musk community, at least in my circles. I'm sure that there's you know people out there that are, think that we're a bunch of doofuses but you know whatever that's that that is what it is i mean there's times i think i'm a doofus so you know but anyway well, whatever let them believe what they want to believe we're uh going forward we're not part of the drama team and uh we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and like i said we appreciate all of our customers yep and we appreciate all of our listeners and speaking of doing what we're doing let's just go dial up this conversation we had with with jason and once again i say we it's Brad. So Brad's going to have a conversa- conversation with Jason. I'm going to play on my laptop and <laughs> that's how that's going to go. So here it is. Jason Quintano, Fins and Grins, Musky Charters. All right. Our guest this week is Jason Quintano with Fins and Grins Charters. The last time we talked to Jason was episode 13. So Jason, long time, no talk. How are things going over there in Lake St. Clair? Well, been going good. Um, life is back to normal, uh, somewhat, and uh, we're uh, free to fish where we like. And fishing's been good, lower numbers, but some big fish, that's for sure. You know, I'd seen. I think it was, I don't know, was it twenty twenty or was it last year? A bunch of tigers being caught. Is that still something you guys are seeing a bunch of? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, I mean, some big ones uh, before high water. You know, like if we caught you know, maybe seven to 10 a year, you know, that was average. And then as high, as high water started, you know, coming like 2017, 18, 19, we was getting more and more. I mean, there's some seasons on uh, 18 and 19, we probably hit close to 80 to 90 tigers a season. This year, it's probably a few less tigers, I'd say overall for me, but bigger ones now. I mean, I think this season alone, I mean, that'd be at least, 10 over 46, 249s, well, 248 and a half. Sorry about that. And then uh, I think I didn't get it for, yeah, 248 and a half are my biggest so far. But cool story with that is we recaught that fish. We caught it the last week of June. If you want to touch based on that, it's a pretty cool story. And then I caught it the first week of August. So same exact fish to a T, identical markings, and it ate the same lure. So it's pretty cool. Can you tell us a little bit, Jason, why the the tiger thing has become such a big deal? I mean, how did that all go about? Do you think it's because of that high water and and the springs that you were having for the spawning grounds where the the pike are joining the muskies in that at that time frame? Um, what's yeah. your thoughts on that? Yes, definitely. I think it was a tribute to the high water. You know, the pike and the muskie were spawning a lot close. You know, a lot closer in time in the same areas more and the high water is definitely, you know, leading up to it. Now we'll see what happens when the water, you know, continues to trend down, you know, they say it's a 25 to 30 year cycle on the great lakes. So right now we're at 2017 levels they are saying, so we'll see what happens in the future. If the tiger population goes down or, or it stays the same, but, Everyone we know have been trying to like catch a 50 inch tiger. And, uh, this year, a buddy of mine, Matt Mueller, he actually crushed it. He got a 51 and a half inch tiger. So that's our like first official one that we know of over 50 inches. 
So that's incredible. Can you tell me? I mean, are you seeing multiple year classes, or is it just uh, you know, is it spread out across two or three years, and then ten years from now you see another? I mean, you've been on the lake forever, so you should have a pretty good feeling of what you've been seeing. I'd say right now we're definitely like in uh, the bigger fish year class, you know, not as many small ones either. So that's why I am really interested to see like what is going to happen as the water goes down. Um, but they're either, you know, the smaller fish right now, like under 40 or they're in my opinion, there's not that many 42s and 43s and 44s, but there's a lot of 45 pluses. We'll see what happens here in the next couple of years. If we continue to get more small ones or they're going to go away. So, you know, that would be a tattletale that, uh, you're going to have some more in the, in the future, but man, it sounds like they're hitting their pride or prime with uh, 45 to 51. I mean, that's incredible. Oh yeah. And they're, and they're super tankers too. I mean, they're just thick. I mean, I wish normal muskies carried it as well, you know, as those tigers do. You know, Jason, the one thing I don't think people realize is, is there a very good pike population out there? Obviously these, you know, they had to get together somewhere to create tigers, but I, I don't hear many people catching pike out there. Is that something you guys see a lot of? Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a lot of pike and well, like the biggest pike I've ever caught out of here is, you know, 41 inches or so. Now during high water, we were catching a lot. I mean, there was days I was catching more pike than I was catching muskies. So we were starting to get you know, a lot more concerned as well. And now this year, definitely not as many pike. I mean, this year, maybe one every couple trips. And, you know, nowhere near the numbers that we were getting uh, during peak high water. Peak high water, I mean, it was getting to a point where, like, all right, there might be a problem starting to occur. So that's why I do think the tiger population was up because of the high water you know because it seemed like the pike were really 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 thriving during that time this year a lot less crazy to me how much of a difference that can make with the you know the high water low water stuff it's i don't know brad do you ever see any of that in in your area you got different fishing different conditions showing up because of it or is your I'm assuming maybe St. Clair cycles faster. Is that kind of the deal? Or slower, I mean? So it'll be high water for many years, whereas, Brad, you might only see it for a season, right? If you look at uh, the South, I mean, they definitely deal with it more than we, meaning Jason and I both, and even yourself in Wisconsin. But, you know, last year was a really strange year for us over here in Minnesota. I mean, we were two to three feet below average um, for water depth. And... I think it definitely played a role in how the fish were acting and what they were doing. And it, it made it a struggle. And then we ended up with like six inches of rain in three or four days. And guess what? We were right back to normal pool. So definitely played some factors. And with that rain, fortunately, that rain came right when we needed it because I was down to like one lake that I could get my boat in. So, you know, if you, if you talk to some of the guys from the South, they're dealing with sometimes 10 foot, 20, 30 foot differences. Think about that. I mean, that's becomes a huge factor, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember you know my down South, the first time I went and fished at PMTT with, uh, with Spencer, we're down at cave run and I've never really fished nowhere else besides home. And I think we went to green Bay one time. So we went, you know, I'm at cave run and they got this launch. It's like a hundred foot decline. 
And I'm like, what is going on? Especially because like, the water will be up that high some days. I'm like, wow. You know I mean? I never even seen nothing like that in my life, but that's all. Yeah. You know what you're talking about? That water will fluctuate that high. So I don't know if it makes that much of a difference for that kind of scenario, but for us, the high water means colder water. So the colder water is that's when the pike are thriving. Yeah. I know what you're talking about there, Jason, just because my first time at cave and I'm thinking to myself, I'm backing this boat down like a hundred yards and it's downhill. It mm-hmm. just totally dumbfounded me. And then I talked to Chase Gibson and he talks about a winter pool in West Virginia on a body of water. They have an access that's under the water half the year. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, they drop the pool so many feet every year. And so during the winter months, you use the lower access that's underwater during the summer. I mean, think about that. It's pretty wild. But I'd, I haven't had to play with that a whole lot where you have to make super adjustments. But I think it's interesting to say your water's higher. It seems cooler. I definitely, you know, <laughs> I know last year with our water down so so much, we were definitely warm. And there was a few weeks there where we couldn't fish. And fortunately, we got some rain timely you know, that, that kept us on the water. It definitely affects things. I mean, I, I look at Lake Miltona and for the first time ever, I've seen some buoys out in the middle of nowhere on some of the shallow stuff that we've never had a buoy on Lake Miltona, you know, it's pretty wild. <laughs> so it, it changes the aspect of where those fish might be hanging out. I think it changes some of the weed lines and so on and so forth. Um, you know, the weeds were still there, but they weren't growing like they normally would. And I think it affected us a little bit this year in weed growth as well. Now, like this year, we're having way better weed growth, and that's because our water's down. Here, it's the problem with the high water wasn't necessarily the depth. It's the volume and how cool it gets. When I leave St. Clair Shores, for example, the West Shore, you know, the Michigan shoreline, and it would be 71 degrees. And then I go, I hit the middle of the lake, which on an, in a normal year, average water, by the time you hit the middle of the lake, then it would be, on average, probably four to five degrees cooler. Well, then by the time you get past the middle of the lake and you get further east, away from the main current, then it would get another six degrees warmer. So if I left St. Clair Shores and it was 71, then it dropped down to 66, then I get out east, and then it's probably a few degrees warmer. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, during high water, I leave, it'd be 71. I get to the middle, 69. I get out east, 71. So, therefore, the fish are going where they want, anytime they want, and there's nothing pushing them up into certain areas like we have this year. Uh, this year is probably one of our best openers that we've had since 2017. That's how the high water you know, really affects us here. I can definitely say, like for us, our weed growth is maybe a little bit down right now. And I think a lot of that's based off of the fact that we had a ton of snow cover, right, all winter. That snow cover definitely killed off some of that cabbage, which is typical, right? Every winter you get some of that cabbage to die. But the thing that happened is, is I think it, it like literally had zero light penetration for, say, six months of the year. It definitely changed the game and um what ended up happening this spring is it, it almost seems like the the uh coontail took over where that cabbage would normally be 
and um, it's making it a little bit challenging to find really good cabbage. All right, so Jason, it's, you know, recently I heard, I mean, actually it was just the other day, I heard that you guys had a, a tournament out there in St. Clair. Why don't you talk a little bit about this, because I think this one was put on by you, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, it was a, a second annual freedom tournament. We started it last year, uh, right after the border opened. Uh, we found out August 9th that the border was opening, so we hurry up and just threw together a uh, tournament, like on our normal club tournament weekend. Uh, the M1C has one August 13th and 14th. So we just threw together you know, a quick little tournament called the Freedom Tournament. Well, it actually went well last year, and then, so we did another one this year. So it was the second annual, and it's a 100% CPR event. Instead of one fish, which is a lot of what we do out here in Lake St. Clair, it's your top two fish in total inches. So, and it was really nice because we're not, you know, you're never really out of it. You know, one guy can have a, a, a nice fish, but you also need a kicker to go with it. So it made for, you know, really fun tournament and it was all CPR and it was a fairly big uh, tournament, you know, uh, first place got, you know, roughly around 25 grand. So for us to accomplish a CPR tournament for that kind of money was a big deal out here on Lake St. Clair. That's definitely uh, an incredible purse, but uh, how are you managing that CPR side of it then, Jason? Okay, so uh, what we'll do is there's a CPR number for each day. Uh, not for each day, for Saturday, Sunday. So, well, first everyone's got to bring their bump boards in. Uh, who's going to get in? Um, we verify them all with, with, uh, with the same uh, uh, measuring ruler. Uh, make sure everyone's either plus or minus or, or, or true. That's what we call it. And then, you know, if they're not plus or minus, they're good to go. Sign them up. And then there's a CPR number given in the morning. Uh, this year was 7:30. So uh, there's four different. Uh, there's three different judges in an alternate. So when you're on the water um, in the morning, the CPR number will come out, and it's, it's for so it's for your top two fish. You text the waymaster, all four waymasters through group text every time you get one. So if your top two, once you have your top two established, that's it. And then. It's kind of cool because it's incognito. There's really no one knows what you're doing, so they can't follow you or bridge you. At the end of the day on Saturday, we did a tournament update. And then Sunday was from 6. So it's hours were 6 till 10 the first day on Saturday and from 6 till 2 the next day. And we had first place was 103 and a half inches, uh, Alec Pasqua. Uh, a good buddy of mine, uh, uh, Eddie, uh, Ed Pasqua's son, uh, Alec works for Eddie and he runs trips for me. He won it. Uh, he got a 52 and a half and a, and a 51 and a half. No quarter in a quarter. Sorry about that. Uh, Spencer, uh, competed in it casting Mike Holbert competed in it casting. Mike was in the running pretty much the whole time as well. Uh, but Spencer got second place against all the trollers as well. And with 101 and a uh, quarter inches. Yes. I'm trying to remember all my head right now. 101 quarter inches. You got a 51, uh, 51 and a 50 and a quarter. And then uh, we had a two way tie for third and me and a buddy were tied for fifth, but it worked out really well. And, you know, the nice part is for us out here with the, with the big money tournaments, um, and I'm not talking bad about nothing because we have great live wells, everything, but for this tournament it was strictly CPR. 
So for us to be able to accomplish that and cover all of our bases, so you know, no one could possibly cheat for that kind of money. Um, it was a pretty big deal. So something that hopefully we get, continue to keep growing. Yeah, absolutely. I think you should share too, Jason, how people can be involved in that tournament. And then the second component to that is you talked about it there for a split second. You should talk about your live well systems that you're currently using and, and how you developed that and how it kind of came about. Well, for the tournament for next year, it'll be on the same weekend. I don't know exactly what uh, the dates will be yet. It's the second weekend of August. Um, you, you just come out. We'll uh, set up where the uh, captain's meeting is going to be again. We verify your bump board and sign you up. Um, it's $400 main entry. Then we have a little side bet, too. And that's where the big payout comes from. And then, uh, so, like, with our live wells, they're established, I'd say, probably about the mid-90s. And really, out here on Lake St. Clair, we've grown a lot. I mean, back in the day, no one had live wells. All the big tournaments back in the day, all the way up until, I'd say, yeah, the mid-90s were kill tournaments. I mean, that was it. I mean, the fish came in, and they were dead. And then that's just how it was back in the day. Now, so then they came up with the live wells, so the tournaments wouldn't be kill tournaments. And so it was really for tournament use. And now, in the meantime, They've been the best component on Lake St. Clair. I mean, and I really do think that uh, Dave Clark came up with a live well. He's a club member, and I think that really did help our big fish population on this lake. I mean, when we were kids, we did the best thing we could. You know, we hung over the side of the boat, you know, all right, it's okay. And then, you know, it would swim away or, or float away. You know, that was the best. That's all we had, you know, when we were trolling when we were young. So now with these live wells, you know, they're pumping in six, 10 gallons per minute, depending on your live well, on your, on your washdown pump, they're aerated, the water's reviving them. So we net them, as soon as we net them, lift the bag right up, right into the live well. The fish isn't on the deck, nothing like that. Goes right into the live well, unhook them in there to stay a lot calmer, unhook them, lift the bag out of the, uh, out of the live well, and then put the fish back in there and let it recover, take a picture. Let her sit in there, just like if you're casting. Once she's staying upright in the tank and like somewhat swimming on her own, then we let her go. So I mean, they've been outstanding out here on Lake St. Clair, you know. And you know, the live wells are are great, but we're just trying to evolve a little bit with the times and you know get a our, our big money tournaments here with, with a two fish system. So with a two fish system, more than likely, it's not going to come down to the eighth inch like a lot of our big fish single tournaments do you know what i mean so we have two fish and good cpr pitchers more than likely it's not going to come down to, to that eighth inch which we we are now going rounding down to the quarter anyway but with the two fish system it's gonna be a lot less controversy you know opposed to the one and it adds a whole other fun aspect to it well, I would tell everybody if they have interest in seeing that live well system, I know you have some pictures on your social media and <laughs> it's pretty wild to see some of those big fish and they're basically what a polycarbonate box. You can see how they're yeah. doing and they get some really cool pictures and so on and so forth. Oh yeah. I mean, and you know, it seems like very odd to some people when they see it and they're like, you know, what are you doing? And like, and then most people, and even when I have casting clients who are like, ah, I'll never go trolling. And then for some reason they end up in the trolling boat. If we have bad weather or whatever, I'm like, Hey, you know, so I sit in a hotel, let's go trolling. 
well, then they see how we revive them and how they are in a live well and how much we care for them. And they're like, this is freaking great. And like you said, you actually can sit there and look at the fish for a second and, you know, let them revive. And, and you know, as long as the water's not too warm out, you can let them sit in there for a little bit and get completely, like, revived. And usually when you go to grab them for the pitcher, they're really super lively. You know what I mean? That's how much of a good job it's doing for the fish, and it's just better for the system overall. You know, Jason, let's talk a little bit about pressure. Since you guys started things rolling back last year, you know, you said, what, August 9th as, as it was. Has you have you seen pressure increase or decrease this year? I I know, I mean, obviously, in order to fish big water like that, you guys are burning up a heck of a lot of a gas. I don't know if that's had any impact on your fishery at all or not. Oh, definitely. I mean, so for us, we have less pressure, I would say, than you know, com- you know, uh, compared to before COVID and before high gas. For one, right now, a lot of guys who would. Uh, go to Canada and stay in Canada like, with their smaller boats so they don't have to run across the lake. Those guys, a lot of those guys aren't there probably because they're not vaccinated. And you still got to be vaccinated to go to Canada. So uh, that's one reason I think like boats are down out in the lake. And then two is gas. I mean, you know, to run my big boat right now a day, I am anywhere from $275 to $350 a day. So for guys to go fun fishing now, it's not really that cheap, you know, so that's definitely cutting down on a lot of traffic and on the tournaments. I mean, our musky bash is probably one of our biggest tournaments out here and numbers are down and mainly because a lot of guys were just teaming up with each other because they don't want to run the gas themselves and it's a lot cheaper. So, yeah, it's unreal how much, how expensive it is to run one of those big boats. I mean, Three hundred dollars a day—is that what you said it was to, for gas? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at one point it was like three fifty. Yeah, that's crazy. You know? I mean, we were six seventy-five in the marina a gallon, and in the big boats, you know, we got tw- twin four fifty-fours going. So you're we're doing anywhere from fifty to sixty gallons a day. So eats it up. Yeah, no doubt. Coincidentally, did you guys have to increase your your cost per trip this year or not? The way I handled it is um, I raised my my rates $50 per trip before the season started or the gas got crazy high, you know, just anticipating prices going up everything. So $50 was nowhere near what we needed, and I didn't feel right charging a surcharge. Some guys are doing a surcharge, which, you know, that's up to them. I'm not, you know, hating them on that for that at all. But, I, you know, guys send me deposits based on a certain price. So I felt like it wasn't right for me to change the price. I just gave me a deposit. But most of the clients, you know, I, I talk with them, you know, on the way out, hey, you know, the price of gas is through the roof. You know, if you could toss anything on the tip extra at the end, that'd be greatly appreciated. So that's basically just how I've handled it this year. And almost all the clients have been, you know, really generous this year with tips due to that fact, I'd say. Yeah, that's good. At least, you know, you guys aren't. You know, there's a lot of expenses that go into guiding. Everybody thinks, oh, you guys charge, I don't oh, know, yeah. you know, I don't even know what you guys charge per trip, but whatever, the X amount, and they don't realize all the other stuff that goes into it. You break something on the mm-hmm. big boat, and it's, you know, it's not hundreds of dollars to fix it. It's thousands of dollars to fix it, so. You know, if I get a bill that's under a grand, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about trolling bucktails. That was one thing on our list here. 
um, you know, Brad, you've done a bunch of it. Jason, you guys have done a bunch of it. So it's something that I think wouldn't necessarily be specific to Lake, Lake St. Clair. I know the Green Bay anglers, they, they troll bucktails, and I, th- I think it's underutilized in a lot of instances, I feel. But why don't you guys talk a little bit about, you know, how you go about doing it. Maybe you and Brad can have a little back and forth on it. I don't do a ton of it. I don't troll as much as I used to, so I'm not going to be a ton, mm-hmm. of, ton of help. But I know you guys have a lot of expertise on it. You want to start out, Brad, since you know a thing or two about bucktails? <laughs> I don't know how we start out on this one, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I guess we could start like this, right? You know, bucktails aren't necessarily known for being a trolling bait. They are very effective as a trolling bait, and they come in all different sizes and variations, obviously. And, and uh, I think that there's a lot of noise, and they push a lot of water, and it's something that the fish out in the open water, anyway, from my aspect, they don't get to see it. And it's always interests me, you know, with you guys over there at St. Clair, Jason, you, you guys utilize bucktails a ton. And it's always kind of blown my mind a little bit that when you are utilizing bucktails, it's every size and every shape, you know, and, and you're, you're doing a bunch of different configurations. I think we should start off by, you know, just kind of looking at, what those configurations are and why. And you just recently caught a really good giant here <laughs> out of your boat that, uh, that maybe you should share with, you know, the, the whole audience as well. Yeah. Well, like you're saying, I mean, uh, every day is a different story with the bucktails. And now that we're getting back to lower water, our water is getting warmer. And so the bucktails are going even better now, you know, during high water, water it's colder. I mean, not saying we weren't catching fish on the bucktails then, but it's definitely more of a wood bite one day and the next day is a tail where right now, I mean, pretty much tails are going every day. Now it's a matter of if it's going to be a small tail bite, a double 10 bite or a nine ten bite or I mean, now I'm messing with Indiana fluids and Colorado's together, even trolling, you know, so different variations every day. You know, we got a big one, August 3rd, I believe. No, August 5th. It was August 5th. Sorry about that. It was 55 by 24 and it ate a, uh, nine ten combo pearl orange. So, uh, your bucktail bread is a nine ten orange double orange blades and i mean it was definitely a shocker i mean official weight was 41.2 i mean yeah 41.20 was official weight that's a very heavy summer fish for us here on lake st Clair. yeah absolutely i mean that not, it doesn't get much better than that right um, no 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 I, we were no. blessed that day that is for sure you know, it's it's so wild to me. I build a bunch of different bucktails to troll with almost every season, Jason. And I don't know, have you played with the Moon Series at all when you're over there? We trolled them. The, uh, the Moon Series, um, for some reason, they weren't all over it for me. I was, like, super, super excited about that. Now, maybe someone else will get them going. But for some reason, the, the, the Moon... Uh, so, are you talking about the ones w- w- with the blades on the back, Brad? Yeah, like the, the, the tail blades, whether it be a yep. double, you know, JR3 or JR4. Yep, yep. No, um, I, I definitely tried them. Now, when I did try them, it was in a higher wa- the higher water cycle to where they're a little bit more picky with the tails. So now that we are getting lower water, that might be, you know, something that they like. Now, the bigger bucktails, when we're in, like, 
peak water, like peak low water, and like 14 and 13, the bigger bucktails, they were stroking them. And then as the water gets higher and colder, then they want smaller, you know, smaller profile. So now that we are getting back into lower water, they actually might, you know, start eating those, those moon series for us here. So well, I'll definitely begin with a shot. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's just something that, you know, I generally, I'm doing my trolling in, in the month of June, right? I'm doing a lot of open water trolling. Over the past couple of years, the JR3s have really, really been effective for me. And it's amazing, okay. like just a regular number 10 blade had kind of petered out a little bit for me and just doing the experimenting. And then I know that the single girl was really a big thing for you for a couple, three years ago. And it seems like that kind of petered out for you. And uh, then all of a sudden you come full circle and you got a 10-9 out there and you end up catching that 55. And, uh, and I'm assuming you're catching other fish on it as well. Oh, yeah. Yep, definitely. Now that 9-10, it was going really good, really good, really good. And then it shut down on me. Well, the color is, you know, a great color. I'm like, it's not the color. Actually, during the tournament, I cut it apart, put two double tens on. And what do you know? It was out there maybe 15 minutes and it got crushed. That wasn't the fish I needed, but it got eaten. And then the next day it caught another one. Now we'll see what happens tomorrow when I'm out. If they want double tens or it's to be a nine ten. Now I think in the cleaner water, double tens will do better. I think if you get a little bit more stain, the nine tens due to the harder thump and, you know, uh, harder thump of it actually do a little bit better in, in the dirtier water. Let's talk a little bit about that, Jason. When are you making your changes? You know, I mean, obviously, you've got a ton of time on the water. How many lines are you generally running every day? Um, I mean, it depends how many clients I have in the boat. But, I mean, on average, 10 to 12. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely have room to play around. So, and then, like, on the boat right there, I got a little bucktail station. And, you know, I got all my blades right there. And if one color is not working, I cut one apart and put another one together and remake that one. Definitely, you know, a Lake St. Clair thing to be able to do that, you know, opposed to somewhere else. But, um, you know, that's I get a buddy tells me, hey, I got, you know, this going. Well, I'll cut that one apart, cut that one apart, make that one, and then, you know, make another one. It was probably 2018, no, 17 during the Muskie Bash, uh, 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 our, big, our big tournament out here too. Spencer got, you know, put an opal out. Spencer is fishing with me. Um, I didn't have another one. Caught another one, cut two more apart, made that one, and, you know, won us, you know, 20-something grand. I mean, to be, able, to be able to do that is a, you know, a helpful part, you know, in any angler, but also being able to do that on the water is not an option to a lot of people. So, you know, it, I'm in a 31 foot boat. I'm, you know, not in my small boat ranger making bucktails. So, yeah, that's funny. But you know, I I can say, I mean, I I know tons of people that are cutting baits apart and rebuilding them right in the boat as well. You know, on a 20 yeah, I mean, 19 footer. I mean, oh yeah. It, 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 sorry about that, Brad. Uh, I'm definitely not saying that. I was just saying, you know, some you know advantage. I mean, I know Spencer will do that too, and I know sometimes Holbert will do that. But you know, day in day out, just to have all the tools right there to bend and cut yeah. and do all that. So, you know, nothing. You know, not saying nothing at all about that. 
No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't take it that way at all, Jason. I mean, I, it's one of those things that I think a lot of anglers don't think about, right? Um, oh, when you have that special bait and it gets ripped up or you lose a blade or whatever it might be, you know, a little rebuild kit can definitely save the day, right? Oh, definitely. <laughs> that, that would be huge. Like, uh, I had a bucktail, uh, there's an opal of yours and, uh, there's some red tips on the blade. Anyways, that's been dynamite, absolute dynamite. And I can see the blade, fine, you know, getting thinner and thinner uh, at the clevis there. And I'm like, oh, we'll see how long it makes it. And actually, during the day Sunday, it blew off. Now tomorrow, like, like you said, I'm just going to remake it and hopefully bring her back to life. But it is funny, though, sometimes when you make a bucktail that you had going, you know, so I know it's only wire and metal and blades and flash glue. Sometimes it's not the same for whatever reason that may be. But I've seen that happen as well. Hands down, there's something special about certain baits. And, you know, it's funny to me, Jason. I, I can be at a show and somebody can walk in there and it doesn't matter. It's a junior or cowgirl or whatever. It doesn't matter. And they go, I caught one fish on this. And look, the wire's bent. And I'm like, okay. Well, do you think you can replace it? And I'm like, I'll tell you what. I'll take that bait. And I'll give you a brand new one. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, that one's proven. And it seems like the more they get bent, the better they get, right? So yep. that's the whole key to this whole thing. I mean, if you're having success on something, take advantage of it and keep going with it, right? And, and sometimes changing it, like you just said, is not the answer. You want that thing all twisted and bent up, right? Yep, definitely. I mean, and... You know, not to get into like the panoptics thing or whatever and all that. You know, that's a whole discussion in itself about uses with it. But when I make a new bucktail or I try to make a new color, I put it on my in my inside rigger or my down rod or my long rod, and I give her a watch. If I don't get no follows there going for you know half hour to an hour, well, I mean, I know I'm not on to something. If I start getting follows, okay, well, we're on to something here. So a lot, I do a lot of that every day. Let me ask you this, Jason, those follows on your live scope or pan optics, whatever you're using, how many of those convert to a bite? And do you feel that you can convert that bite by either ripping on that line or, or making a change up to get those fish to eat? Oh, 100%. I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. I'd say it depends obviously how active the fish are that day, but I probably, I mean, I've done that with in front of clients. I don't even know how many times. And I mean, it's actually pretty amusing because then they think like, Holy, you know, Holy hell, this guy is crazy. You know, I'm, I, I run over to the inside rigger and start yanking it away. And all of a sudden the rod takes off. I'm like, how'd you see that? <laughs> you know, like, first thing in the morning or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, I saw the fish right there. But before I have a chance to explain to them what they're even looking at. So, you didn't see it, Jason. You smelt it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah. so, I mean, that's, that's one, you know, nice part about that as well, you know, trying to find different colors and this and that. And, you know, I'm sure you guys know Jeff Hansen, obviously. Jeff opened my eyes, like, you know, probably, I don't know how many years ago, probably eight years ago. And, the fish were nipping, you know, short hit, short hit, this, that. And he calls me, he's like, hey, Jason, he's, uh, put a, a Citron out with green blades. I'm like, really? 
I'm like, he's like, yep. And so they were nipping, nipping, nipping. That bucktail I tied that night, that quick, that little fine nuance. And that's what drives you crazy as a fisherman. They destroyed that bucktail. The thread wasn't even on, wasn't even on the flash boot no more on the bottom two skirts. I mean, in one night, they just absolutely devoured that. And in the meantime, though, every, every other bucktail was just, you know, a normal hit, you know, outside, you know, barely at the front of the mouth. They were choking them down. I mean, so that's one thing that drives you crazy as a fisherman. And that's why you're always trying something different because in my head, I think there might be you know, that fine little color nuance that's going to really get them charged up. All right. So what, one thing I want to know about is, or, or get, let the listeners know, if they're not familiar with trolling bucktails, I'm assuming there's more to it than just letting this blade out behind behind the boat. You guys using weight? What kind of leaders are you oh, using? Yeah. How long are they? That like, yeah. Let's, let's kind of give some details on, on what anglers can do outside of St. Clair. Because, you know, a bunch of our listeners are, they're not fishing there. They're fishing all over the place. Is this something that they can do all over? And let's talk a little oh. bit about the ins and outs of it. If I have a question, I mean, I'll answer Well, let's, let's start with leaders. When you're trolling bucktails, what kind of leaders are you using and what kind of length are you using? All right. Well, it's okay. I, I'm here at least St. Clair. I mean, you can do a normal standard setup leader. Which uh, that like how we do it here would be uh, two ball bearing swivels connected, and you and you connect the one uh, to the uh, opening of the uh, one ball bearings, and then you have the the uh, the clip would actually be like a dropper chain for for the weight. Out here at Lake St. Clair, we run weights on every rod, unless it's no weeds, but every rod will have anywhere from two ounces to a pound on it. So you got your normal standard setup with the with the with the ball bearing swivels, like I said, and then behind that you'd have an eight you know eight foot leader, six foot leader, whatever you want. Then we have our bucktail setups, is what we call them. Is it would be a twenty foot leader, and then we'll use a snap weight. Um, you got to make sure you use ball bearing swivels, obviously, because of twist. So I'll have my my fifty pound main line. Uh, we use uh, mono out here because we need to stretch. And then, uh, then I run eighty pound, eighty pound fluorocarbon leader, and it'll be twenty foot long. And then we snap on a weight uh, that are custom made out here by uh, Dick Mason. And I'll have anywhere on a on a board rod, I'll have anywhere from you know two to six ounces on it. And then you know we let back how how far. So like a normal bucktail setup out here, for instance, would be four and forty. So four and forty means forty feet back, four ounces of weight and so on you know that's super interesting to me jason because i i will mix it up i'm using three to four foot wire like solid wire leaders as well as fluorocarbon um again three to four foot and a lot of times i'm using one pound ball that i clip on there with just a normal stay lock right and you definitely want the swivels like you're talking but i'm keeping the weight a lot closer to the bait I think one of the things that you guys are doing on St. Clair is you're using that weight way far forward. You know, you said 20 foot leader. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is probably because of weeds. Am I wrong or am I right? Yes. Yes. Well, that, that and the clean water, you know what I mean? So we got, but the main thing is exactly what you're saying is the weeds. So if you have a six foot leader, for example, and you have your weight on there and say you happen to grab some weeds that are four foot long. At least if you have a 20 foot leader, then your bucktail is at least 
you know, further back and it's still fishing. You know what I mean? If you got it on your outside board line, you know, then, you know, you're not just burning your lure that entire time. If you have a six foot leader and you got a big chunk of cabbage on it, then you got, you know, you got a freaking a weed dangling right next to your bucktail, you know, or right in front. So it's, you know, trying to be stealthy about it in the clean water and, you know, keep the, keep the, uh, keep the weeds away from the lure. Now, are you primarily just using that weight as your weed catcher or are you playing with some other stuff too, like bent wires or a hook potentially or something like that, that, that will catch some of those weeds? I, uh, mainly the weeds there just to collect the weeds. Now if the weeds get really bad. I've actually been, uh, using, uh, those weed catchers from, uh, from, uh, Doug Wagner there. So they're pretty nice when it gets really weedy. I mean, it definitely catch, uh, uh, catches all those weeds, but, um, yeah, the weight's just there really just to collect all the weeds. And in turn, we use it to get depth, you know, sometimes on my down rod, I'll have, uh, 20 feet back with a, uh, with a bucktail. You know, some people are like, wow, that's deep. It's really not that deep. So, you know, but you know, by the time you're going, you know, three, six to four miles an hour. I think there's some confusion. I mean, literally, I'm running one-pound weights generally, okay, four feet off. Now, I'm not dealing with weeds like you are. In the month of June, I am basically as clean as it could be, right? So mm-hmm. we're not with weeds on the surface. We're not dealing with weeds where we're, we're actually trolling. You know, you have 37 feet of line out on uh, double tens with a one pound weight, four feet in front of that, we're down like nine to 10 feet. I mean, think about that at at three, two. So if you speed up to four, we're probably at seven or eight feet. I think there's some confusion with that, you know, that, man, you're using a one pound weight, but ultimately (laughs) we're, we're really high in the water column at that point. Yep, not that deep at all. I mean, people think it's a lot deeper than it really is, and it's not. I mean, that's the whole the whole key to fishing is just knowing where your lures are when you're casting or you're trolling. You know, that's right. what you have to do as an angler. Yeah. And definitely, one of the the components that helps you with that is live scope. I mean, you know, in the last year, I started playing with live scope a little bit, and and where I've really truly used it is more so in the trolling aspect than anything because I know exactly where my baits are running now. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, I go like how you, you, before cell phones, you always used to remember probably like, you know, 10 phone numbers in your head, maybe, and, you know, now that you have cell phones, you don't remember them. Well, now with me, with my panopters, cause I got the panopters on my side of the boat, you know, well, I'll look over, but all right, that's about five feet deep, put the line, send it down. So now it's a panoptic. So, uh, I've forgotten a lot of like the sets that I would normally have in my head before because of panoptic. I was looking over, uh, all right, that's perfect. That's five foot and shoot her down. Pretty cool stuff. Lots to learn. And, you know, not to get into that subject lately, it seems like a touchy subject with people, but there's lots of applications, you know, besides sniping fish. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, (laughs) my perception of live scope is basically it's a flasher. I mean, if you think about it, a flasher is live, right? So if you Mm -hmm. were vertically jigging, whether it be for crappies, bluegills, walleyes, um, whatever it might be, it's live. 
And, and the neat thing about LiveScope is it's a flasher that you can look off to the side, put it that way, right? I mean, that's basically what it really truly is. And you can utilize that as a tool, like you just said, Jason. I mean, you put that bait back 50, 70 feet, you can see exactly where it is in the water, water column. And I, I think utilizing it as that tool can be very, very effective. 100%. I mean, it's, it's definitely a game changer when, especially if a good, you know, a, a good fisherman's using it, it's going to help hit, help that angler understand even more what he thinks or thought he knew or even prove wrong what he thought he knew. So it's definitely a great tool. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the, there's so many similarities to St. Clair to, the rest of the Midwest or wherever you might fish muskies, right? I mean, we always talk about the Midwest because we think of Wisconsin and Minnesota and, you know, Illinois. But at the end of the day, I mean, all of that stuff can be utilized across the country when it comes to muskies. And trolling bucktails is definitely a, a, a key effective practice of catching fish. Definitely is. I got a question for you. So you talked about running it on a board. Are you running a lot of blades on, on your board, your mass system that you're currently using? Oh yeah. Um, definitely. I mean, I'll, there's days that I mean, I try not to overstack it, you know what I mean? Cause I don't want to have too many tails out, but I mean, there's, you know, there's days I'll have three, three blades on one board and then, and then I'll have a mat lock or, or six inch bait, whatever I choose to have for my wood bait out. You know, if they don't want the tails, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. But, you know, there's some days I'll have three on one board and they're, they're running fine. And, you know, the board will, uh, as long as you have a big enough board and a strong enough board, um, the bucktails won't drown it down either. So I got to ask you this. Have you found a similar, you know, it's so amazing to me, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I remember a time when Mike Keyes came to Malax and he was fishing with Greg Thomas, and they were catching on deep diver slammers, okay? And I knew they were catching on that, and I went out and tried to duplicate it on different structures, and they were trolling off of just different rock humps throughout the whole lake on Malax, right? So... They're doing this, and they're catching tons of fish. And if you went to YouTube, I'm sure you could find this episode that I'm talking about. And I'm probably talking 14, 15, who knows, maybe 17 years ago. The key component to that was that they had a 13-inch believer out, and the fish were eating the slammers, but that believer called the fish in. And I, I do think that there's times when... You have a certain bait out in that water column or in that spread that you're trolling that call fish in. They might not eat that bait, but they're actually going to eat the baits around that. So do you find that to be effective with some bucktails where, you know, you just said that you might have three in a spread and then you have down to one. Do you see that there's some kind of relationship there? Oh, 100%. I mean, so... I always joke around and tell, you know, clients, Hey, I'm setting a booby trap. So now you want to talk about like what, you know, that, that's the whole part in my head of trolling is getting a fish into my spread. I've got to get them into the spread. And then I have other lures set 
for when he wants to come and fall back. You know what I mean? So, for instance, if I have a matlock on my inside, that big matlock is going to bring fish up into the spread. Well, then I'll have another bucktail set just a little further back than that than that one. Then I'll do the same thing on my outside rod. But, you know what I mean? So I, when I'm setting lures, I'm trying to set them to uh, – and that's one nice part about being a caster and a troller is understanding why the fish are coming up then seeing stuff like that when you're casting and understanding it and correlating it all together. You know what I mean? So I have my bucktail sitting right back, right next to it. Now where you have your bucktail on the planer board too, makes a difference on the action that bucktail is going to get as well. So on rough days, you're not going to want to have your bucktail all the way on the outside on really, really rough days because it's going to be jamming and moving around a lot more. So you got to set your bucktail a little bit closer. Well, then I'll have my matlock right there. Then I'll have the bucktail just on the inside. But then, you know, you got to set the matlock just right. So that way, if that goes off, it's not going to tangle up like with your bucktail. If you get what I'm getting at here. You know, one of the things that uh, I always consider, you know, people always kind of like look at the fact that trolling well, all you do is put some baits out and you just drive around the lake and you catch fish. There's so much more to it, you know, Jason. I mean, and obviously doing what you do and on the big boat that you run out there, and you do both, you cast and you troll. But there's so much more to trolling than just throwing a bait out and actually driving in circles. And I think there's a lot of confusion on that. You know, some of that's on the captain, some of it's on just, you know, how you actually manipulate those baits. And I I don't know, I I encourage people to start trolling because I think it's, there's so much to it that I think is overlooked. 100%. And, you know, when people, you know, people say, oh, trolling, trolling, which, you know, that's, that's fine. But trolling is very, very, very technical if you want to be technical about it. Now, I think most people, like what you said, they think that you're just trolling around, you know, pulling two lures, four lures, or how many lures you want, but how you set them, why you set them, you know what I mean? Cause I'll try to stack lures to like where there's a fo- if a fish comes in to follow, I got another lure right there for, you know, maybe it wants a smaller bucktail. So I'll set a big bucktail next to a small bucktail. That way when it swims away, oh, maybe it wants that one. I mean, there's so many different, variables when it comes to trolling and nothing against casting casting is an art i mean boat side is a huge art but you know when people talk about trolling and say that i just you know i chuckle in my head and it used to rile me up a little bit more when i was younger I, that's the best part about getting older it's like whatever it is what it is so but you know life goes on and people will learn eventually that you know there's a lot more to it than what what it really looks like yeah, absolutely. If you had one choice, though, Jason, what would you do? Would you rather troll or would you rather cast? Uh, depends what time of year you ask me that. <laughs> June, I definitely want to troll. Uh, July, August, I probably still want to troll a little bit more. I mean, casting's good, though, really good. I mean, you know, because we have a lot of high cabbage beds. But, you know... No, I'm probably troll, but once we get into like September, October, November, December, I, I I think I like trolling a little bit more, especially November and December. I mean, that's one of my favorite times of the year. So I definitely like to cast more then. Yeah, that's a hard question. People ask me all the time. I mean, I love smoking a fish on a figure eight. I'm, I love hearing giant head shakes on a trolling rod. So it's, you know, 
both are both are great, but I'm labeled as the troller anyway. You know, I'm a pretty good caster. Well, I think that trolling aspect with the name Jason Quintano is based upon a boat. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. People see that boat and they go, oh yeah, he's a troller, you know? But guess yeah. what? You're an incredible casting boat as well. The time and a place. And I think, uh, you know, managing that time, what would you recommend for managing that time? I, I, you know, people I think are always asking and they want to know. And, and musky fishing is about managing time. Definitely. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to come out here to Lake St. Clair to an open water scenario, I mean, and not try to depend on, you know, being in the pack or following people. If you want to do it on your own, I tell everyone, you troll around. I mean, even if you're trolling four or five rods, troll around, use your electronics, find the bait fish. You know, find watercolor, find where you want to be, and then, and then start casting. You know, I mean, and especially if you're on your own, that's a lot easier option. You know, you know, if you, you know, if you're, if you're guiding, you know, I just can't be like, oh, I'll just take the trolling boat and go casting, blah blah blah. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not an option for me. But if you're here on your own, you definitely want to, you know, and manage your time right. You want to troll for a little while, find fish, get on fish, and then cast. Not just cast because that's where you casted the last time you were here or, you know, you know, or whatever, but you want to find active fish, get on those fish and then cast to them. You know, our, our fish out here are moving around every day. I mean, I could be in one spot and then that watercolor change, there's weeds and then I'm, you know, two miles away, three miles away. So it changes daily. And in order to stay on the fish in any open water scenario, I'm sure you got to, Pull around till you find the bait and the fish, and then and then cast at them. You, you don't want to cast it in, in the open water where there's nothing there. I gotta ask you: Is that a gut feeling, or you're relying on your electronics, or when do you make that decision that I need to move? I need to go two miles over here. I need to go three miles. I know, I know some of that, Jason, is your experience and how much time you put on the water, right? But if it was Joe Blow and He's coming out there to actually attack this. When does he make a choice to, you know what? Let's reel in. Let's make a change. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, time on the water can't be replaced. I mean, that's, that's for sure. But for me and myself, I'm definitely using my electronics daily and obviously visually looking for watercolor, you know, out here at Lake St. Clair. Even trolling, I like two to three foot visibility. Like if you get a two to three foot visibility, that's great. Uh, one foot, even six inches trolling is good. Casting, you don't want to, in my opinion, you don't want to be nothing less than two foot out here. Um, you know, if the fish have a hard time keying in on your bait. Now, if you're over like, you know, in dirtier water areas, like the Thames, that's always dirty. That's another story. You know, but if you're out in the main lake, where those fish are used to eating in clean water and that water gets dirty, it's, it, it becomes very tough. So you want to pay attention visually with what's going around in your, you know, in your environment. But mainly for me, it's my electronics every day. I mean, if I ain't marking or I'm seeing bait fish, I'm out of there where other guys might sit longer because, you know, the water looks good. But that's, unfortunately, that's one bad part about being good with your electronics. I know when it's not happening. I mean, I might get lucky every so often, but 
there's days where no matter where I go, what I'm looking at, this just, it's not happening. You know, I'm not marking bait. I'm not marking big fish. There's, you know, you know, with the pan optics, like with the new mega imaging right now, you know, I'm scanning 180 to 200 foot. So as I go by, if, I'm not, if there's nothing you know, on my screens, I'm out of there. You know, we got to find fish. And that's the main thing out here. They're always roaming. They're always moving. The bait fish are looking for that stained water and the muskies will be right behind them. So that's, you know, if your conditions are right, it's time to move. Now, if the conditions are right and you're just not in moon or the window's not there, then you just got to wait and sit. As long as uh, everything else looks good, then you got to wait and sit. And out here, for some reason this year, I don't know about everywhere else in the musky world, the windows are very short and it's very dry in the meantime. Like you'll pound, for, you know, for instance, we'll have four to six fish in two hours. And you're like, all right, we're going to have, you know, a banner day here. And then after that, nothing, nothing, like not even a sniff, not a rip, bait, bait goes away, follow stop on the panoptics. I mean, and that's it, game over. So I don't know about the rest of the musky world right now, but been very, very windowy here on uh, Lake St. Clair. Well, interestingly enough, I, I would say the same thing in my area here in, in Minnesota. So, and that can be challenging, that's for sure. I mean, me, most people that are going to be, say, a weekend warrior, you know, they're coming up and they're fishing two and a half, three days, whatever it might be on a weekend about the time that they start dialing in that window and they come back five days later, guess what? That whole window is maybe changed again. So mm-hmm. how, how do you actually adapt to that? I guess, Jason, if you were the guy that had five days off and you had to come back, how do you adapt to that so that you make that change quicker? Well, I mean, it's funny that you said, you said that because I was thinking about like, you know, like that'd be a good next question. You know, like for me, for instance, right now, you know, normally, like if it's a good morning bite, we'll have a good morning bite for, you know, it's not written in stone, but you have a good morning bite for three to five days. And then it'll turn to an afternoon bite, you know, in the next few days, whatever, after that. This year, it'll be morning bite. Well, then I'm like, all right, well, we'll start in the morning tomorrow. Well, then instead of the afternoon, like, you know, if I have guys here for three days for eight hour trips, you know, we got flexibility on, on when we want to start. So then the next day, I'll be, all right, well, we'll come back in the morning. Well, then the morning bite didn't happen. And then they all bit in the afternoon. So that's been a, a, a tough game here this year as well. You know, you know, cause I, <laughs> when I have clients that, you know, do multiple days for eight hour trips, I have that flexibility. Like tomorrow we're going to start at, we're going to start at nine and we're going to fish until six. Cause I got two, I got two moon phases. So I'm going to try to get those two moon phases in instead of just fishing in the morning where we're not going to have a moon phase. So in turn, hopefully, hopefully they don't bite first thing in the morning. <laughs> so that's the game that we've been playing here lately. Yeah, ultimately it is a gamble. And I, I don't care where you're fishing muskies, it's always a gamble, right? And no the guy that's going to put the time in is generally the guy that's probably going to win, right? Uh, if you're willing to fish at 12, 16, whatever it might be, hours, you definitely better your odds. And and I do think that you can relate to that then. After you got it figured out, you can, you can play that game for a few days. 
a week, sometimes weeks, but generally speaking, it's usually a week or two, you know, and then it mm-hmm. changes. But every year, I, I've said this forever, and it's so bizarre to me. You know, people ask me, well, what what is it that's really triggering these fish? What's the window? And I always say, you know, for us, we have six months. Here in Minnesota, we have six months, right? And mm-hmm. about the time that I really, truly dial it in, the season's over. And uh, <laughs> then the next year, it's another gig, right? This year, it might be moonrise. Moonrise is key. You got to be on the water, right? No matter what it is. And then next year, it's five o'clock in the night, you know, in the evening. And that's the window. And that lasts for two months. And then the next year, it's new moon and it's new moon, um, you know, moon set, whatever it might be. It's so weird how this all works. And Mm -hmm. when you only have six months to stay on it, and I think the biggest advantage is, is guides are on the water every day and they start relating to some of those windows. And it definitely cuts the learning curve, right? It's all about time on the water. Oh, 100%. There's nothing more than time on the water. I mean, you fish all day, and that's what's great. I mean, we offer six-hour trips, and, you know, back when we were in our heyday here, you know, in the, you know, in the Mecca, like 2011, I mean, 10 through 15, we go out and, you know, get eight, 10 fish in six hours. That that doesn't happen that often here no more. I mean, someone tells you that, you know, good for them. But, I mean, you know, like I said, we've been getting, you know, four to seven fish a day. There's some days we catch 10. There's some days we catch two. Be able to do that. And every day, time on the water is the key. And at six hours, we just can't do it no more. I mean, I'm really going to take it off my website because six eight-hour trip, I'm fishing usually 10 hours anyway. I'm not a stickler on time. I mean, I want to catch a big fish just as bad as, you know, the clients do, you know, so eight hour trip is usually 10 hours, but back to the six hour thing, when you do a six hour trip and it's had a double that day, when we do a six hour trip, I come back in, well, then it never fails. The fish are all biting during that freaking hour and a half. I'm sitting at the dock. <laughs> then I go back out for the afternoon trip. And then I missed that whole window briefly in, in the, you know, in the middle there. So like you said, if you get fish all day, you want to fish all day. You know, it's, it's easier said than done, you know, but if you, especially if you're on a trip, put your time in and fish all day long. Because it should happen during that, you know, anytime during that day. I don't know what it is about these fish, but they'll always pull one on you, right? You think you have it dialed <laughs> in and you pull off the water and that's when it happens, right? So it sucks you in. This game is not easy. And I think, um, uh, as all anglers experience, as soon as you think that you got it figured out, you don't. And that's the beauty of it, though. I mean, that's why we all musky fish, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, I get so fired up about big fish still to this day. I mean, sometimes I get more fired up than the clients do. And, you know, the whole thing with it is, is when you're talking about the windows and this and that and the time on the water, it all just boils down to the drive that you got and everything else. I mean, you've got to stay out there and grind, and, and that's the best part about musky fishing. When it happens, then, you know, you, you feel rewarded that you were out there when it needed to be done. 
the hardest worker wins. I think that's the the true key to it, right? And uh, who pays attention the most? I it's always blown me away. But I mean, honestly, when you look at um, all the different successful fishermen in this sport, it's generally speaking. And this is generally because, I mean, there's some guys with a horseshoe buried so deep, it, it doesn't matter, right? But at the end of the day, it's the guy that makes it happen because he just puts the extra time in. Do you think you got this all figured out every day that it's not going to happen? I mean, this, this sport will humble you quick. Uh, I tell everyone, I go, one day I'm riding in, I'm feeling like a badass. The next day I'm riding in, feeling like a jackass that quick. I mean, it'll humble <laughs> you real fast. That's a great way to put it, Jason. <laughs> so if if I, you know, kind of off subject, but, you know, you talked about using, utilizing your electronics, right? I mean, in, in today's world, we have probably, well, not probably, we have the best electronics that anybody's ever experienced, right? So... How are you utilizing your electronics and how are you developing the the aspect of actually taking advantage of those electronics so that you're better than the rest of everybody else using? How are you actually making that happen, Jason? Well, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, fortunately that I have a lot, you know, a lot of time to stare at the electronics for the amount of hours I do every day. But, you know, the main thing is, you know, first thing is in the morning is trying to find the bait fish. You got to find the bait fish first, you know, and that's first and foremost. Uh, if there ain't bait there, more than likely you're not going to catch them. Well, then, you know, so they get on the bait, you know, looking well, for the mark. Hang, hang on a minute though, Jason. I want to go a little bit more in depth. How are you finding that bait fish? What are you utilizing to you to find that bait fish? Side imaging is by far, you know, y your best tool. You know, like Sinclair, you know, um, we don't have structure, obviously. So, you know, um, with the mega imaging now, with the hummingbird, you know, I'm scanning most days. I'm scanning 85 feet aside. I mean, and like seeing very well, um, you know, good detail. So driving, first I'm looking for watercolor, you know, I'm trying to look for some stained water. So the bait's going to be, um, get, get on that, find the bait fish. You know, then I'm looking at the bait, see if it's big bait fish or little bait fish. I mean, you can tell by the by the pixelation, you know, you get smaller ones. The, smaller, the fuzzy stuff will, you know, be your one to three inch, you know, and as the pixels get bigger, you know, in three, six, and then the, in the fall, we'll start seeing the really big bait. So look for the bait, looking for marks. Um, out here, we have a lot of sturgeon, a lot, a lot of sturgeon. So you're deciphering between sturgeon and muskies and with the mega imaging, you know, you zoom in on them. Sturgeon will always have a flat belly. Like even if you look in pictures, they always have, you know, it's like a turtle shell. And then, you'll, you know, and with the mega imaging, it's so detailed, you know, you actually see the fins. So, you know, I'll see the pectoral fins, you know, like on the belly of the, of the flat side. So then I know that's sturgeon. I mean, you actually see the pointy tails, everything. So, you know, I, I got to make sure, I got to make sure that, you know, I'm, you know, that I'm verifying their muskies and then I got the panoptics going. Well, then I'm looking for follows. So then as soon as we get on the, on the fish, then I'm looking for the follows. Well, all right, got to follow here, got to follow there. So I'm keeping track of follows in my head as well. So, all right, follow there, follow there. 
slow days when all that's going to come off and pay off because then I'll spin back and, you know, cause I know the fish are there. It's like casting, you know, I'm getting a follow here, a follow there. And, you know, I, I got, I know there's a pack fish here. So then I'm moving, 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 no bites. Well, here, we've got a bite here. There's a pack fish here. Well, then I'll start working from that spot to the next spot. You know, so I'm going back and forth, cool relief in that area. And let's try to put it together a pattern all day. And then as the bait fish move, I'm using electronics to stay on them. Especially in certain parts of the lake, those bait fish are moving all day long. So I'm constantly trying to pattern the bait, where they're moving. And then, you know, once the pressure builds on them too, if there's more boats, then those bait fish and fish are going to scatter too. So then you're trying to take the current into effect wind all right which way is the bait going to be moving well we got current wind going this way so let's try to push this way like into you know because fish are always going to move into the current for the most part so and then i'm moving that way and just trying to stay on top of the fish using all the electronics you know you know like i said earlier the best part about electronics is knowing when you're on them but the worst part is when you're not on them and you just can't find them then you know, you know those are the days where you're extremely frustrated because as i know that you know i'm just probably not going to get it going so let me ask you this, Jason, when do you utilize a waypoint? Say, say that you're on fish, right? I've said this for a couple of years. I wish one of these electronic companies would actually come out with a 24 hour or a 48 hour waypoint. So you're not wasting, you know, you punch in, a, you know, mark that <laughs> fish, right? If, if it was only good for 48 hours and I didn't have to worry about it, that it was going to delete after 48 hours, it'd be perfect, right? Now, don't get me wrong. There's waypoints that I want to last forever. But when do you use your waypoint to, you know, when are you utilizing that, I guess, is the, the big question for me. Every day. I mean, so I don't know exactly how many waypoints like the hummingbird holds, but Every day, I'm usually deleting at least 20 to 30 waypoints. Clients say, what are you doing? I'm like, I delete waypoints. Well, because that's what I'm doing. I'm keeping track of bait. And then, you know, I got a certain icon for the bait. I'll be marking bait. Now, every day when I'm on a charter, if it's really weedy or this or that, I don't have time to do all that. But like, if I'm tournament fishing, I'm paying attention. Like, I'm not even running rods anyway. You know, I'm, I'm, that's my job. And then, and then the crew's, you know, right on the back of the boat. But I uh, have a certain icon for bait, another icon for fish for this year, you know. And I, so I, I can decipher, you know, on my graph, you know, what, you know, what fish is from now because I got so many in there. Then I have a big fish icon. The big fish icons always stay there. So every day I'm deleting waypoints, adding waypoints. And then exactly like what you said, I wish I could pick one that would be, temporary so i don't have to go back there and delete them all every day because every day i'm doing the same thing just deleting adding deleting and adding clients look at my gps they go what are you looking at i go i got my system it's good <laughs> then i got the you know auto chart on there too from the hummingbird so that's all mixed in with all the waypoints as well yeah it, it can be confusing you know i've had people say well i wish i had all your waypoints and I, i'm thinking to myself Man, if I gave you my waypoints, you'd be even more confused. <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> I mean, seriously, though. I mean, think about it. I, I honestly struggle from year to year going, what did I do that for? You know what I mean? And I, I'm with you. I mean, deleting stuff, you got to stay on top of it. And I, that's why I brought this up because I, I think that 
all of us have a tendency, oh, that was a big fish. Okay, let's mark it. I kind of mm-hmm. switch now, though. Uh, honestly, I've switched to the point where I'm only marking, uh, I say this, and then last night I marked some fish that followed or whatever so that I could go back to them after dark. But ultimately, I'm only marking fish that have eaten and for whatever reason, I wonder if you see this on St. Clair, and I'll let you answer. But I definitely feel like there's eater spots and there's fish that are just hanging out in an area that they just want to be left alone. They're not going to eat. They might chase. They might do different things. But ultimately, I want to mark where they actually eat. And I, I really believe that when it comes to trolling as well. It might maybe more so like that, like on your bodies of water, because I know your guys' fish are a lot more territorial, I guess is the right word, where our fish are just pelagic. I mean, they're moving every day. So if I get on a fish, I just got to wait for them to eat. You know, there's really no, you know, there's no safe, you know, which I'm sure there probably is, but like for how we fish here, you know, we're out in the wide open, just, you know, you know, and the fish are out there roaming too. So, but like how you mark a fish, I'm not even like, I'll mark that fish obviously, but I'm not necessarily even hunting that one fish out here where there's one big fish. There's more big fish. They don't, they're not hanging out with each other because they, you know, obviously cause they like each other, but they travel on wolf packs where there's one big one, there's another big one. And that's why like when we were talking about the freedom tournament earlier, it's a nice aspect of it. Because if you get a big fish, no one really knows where you got unless they saw you net it. You know what I mean? Out here with all of our big tournaments, you know, like 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 the fish, you know, like the tournaments where the fish get ran, the boat pops up on plane, and you're like, oh, that's where they were. You know what I mean? Where now it's all incognito. Like no one really knows what you're doing unless they actually see you net the fish because the boat's still fishing. We're not. There's no. There's no boats running necessarily. I agree with that 100%. And it's amazing to me. And I, I've told different people that have been in my boat, if you see one, there's probably three, five, you know, and, and you have to think about that. And the crazy thing is, is that yes, there's the fish are going to utilize that spot, but at the end of the day, they might be there for a week. They might be there for three weeks. You, you just don't know. And you have to look at it that way as well. Like you said, I mean, they're, they're moving around. I mean, fish swim, that's the way it is. Right. So, but making sense of all that, and and I would agree 100% with you. If you see one big one, there's probably a few more around. That would be one cool thing about fishing, like in another body of water sometimes. Cause like I was listening to guys from, you know, my clients or, you know, you know, guys at the shows or whenever we're talking and they're like, Oh yeah, I saw that big fish in that spot, and then you know I came back and fished that spot again. You know, to me that's really cool to hear stuff like that because our fish they just don't do that. Like you know that big fish, like there might be big fish in a half mile area. You know what I mean? But they're not hanging like on a point or on a weed at. You know what I mean? They're they're just they're 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 roaming. You know they're you know once they get into into some of our big cabbage areas, then they'll probably hang out. You know they'll they'll definitely hang out more there. But when they're out in the, in the main lake, they're just roaming. You know, like ocean fishing. Do you find that to be seasonal though, Jason, or no? 
What's that? What do you mean necessarily there? I, well, what I mean is like almost calendar dates. Do you see fish hanging in certain areas during that calendar date? Or is it just so random you can't even really put it together? Now, if the conditions stay the same, then I, then I can count on it. You know what I mean? I can count on going back and, and that those fish will be there. And that was like part of the problem with the high water. So if I can count on my hand, maybe, you know, on both my hands in the last, you know, during the high water cycle for three or four years where I was able to go back the next day and fish that same spot that, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're still getting them here because the water color changes so much out here. And, and then the bait fish are moving and then the wind blows hard one way, then, the, then everything changes and it's complete, like almost reset. So then you got to, all right, well, today I'm going to go five miles this way because the water color should be better over here. You know what I mean? It's, it's always flipping around. Now, when we get to low water, we'll have less flow. And then there'll be areas that will hold a little bit longer, I would say, than when we've been in high water the last three to four years. That makes sense. And, and I'm guessing, you know, I don't know how big a wind changes you get. I mean, up here the last couple of years, it's northwest. Then all of a sudden it's southeast and then it's northeast. Mm-hmm. And, and it changes the game every single day. And it, it makes it challenging, right? But, yep. you know, yep. that every bait's going to change and the muskies are going to change right behind the bait. And I think you truly made it a strong point today you're looking for bait that's number one the muskies are behind it yep you know i mean like when clients go i guess they have no structure here at all well i mean fall time you know that's our only structure fishing you know if you're fishing you know rivers and channel edges and stuff like that you know so you know we're structure fishing them but in in the lake our structure is uh bait fish and watercolor that's our structure and, you know, and that's the main reason why when you come into an open water scenario, I mean, you know, and budgets are part of life, but being good with the electronics and at least utilizing what you have in your boat is the most important thing. Absolutely. Be, be effective and solid on what you know and continue to grow with that. You're, um, you're going to up those odds. Let me ask you one last question, Jason, before we kind of put an end to this whole thing, but how many people are coming out there to fish St. Clair on their own? Are they utilizing you guides or are they just kind of showing up, trying their gig at it and then, you know, disappear or whatever it might be. I, I just feel like most people that go to St. Clair are probably hiring somebody, correct? Yeah. I mean, and, um, I said some clients recently, they hired me for one day and then they stayed and casted, you know, on their own for three to four days. But, I mean, there are a fair amount. Uh, I'll see them out there getting guys I know as well. But, I mean, most of my guys, I would say, are they fish with me and then, you know, go home. Um, but there, there are some that come and, you know, they'll stay for two or three days. And I don't mind at all. You know, I just tell them there's so many little courtesy and don't sit right on top of me tomorrow. You know, just, if you're in the same area, that's cool. Just, you know, give me a little room. Well, you need a little bit of room when you got a boat like you got, Jason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Summertime's not uh, bad either. It's just 
fall time gets a little packed, you know, because then we're, we're fishing a little bit closer to shore, you know, more concentrated areas. So the fish are packed up more, the baits packed up more. So that's when fall time, you know, because of more of a zoo summertime, I mean, there's more than enough lake to, you know, stay, you know, have room for everybody. Well, one of these days I'm coming over to fish with you. I know we were going to do it a couple of years ago. I need to come over there and hang out with you. Oh yeah, definitely. The invite is always open. I truly appreciate that. Jeff, I think he's probably got a, a, a good nap in at this point. I, I don't know if he said too many words throughout this whole hour, <laughs> whatever it is. Well, I was going to, you know, just thank Jason for having a conversation with you tonight about musky fishing. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. Uh, St. Clair intrigues me. And, you know, I I don't know that there's anybody you could, I'm sure Jason will argue this, but Jason is one of the best over there. He needs to be recognized as so. And it's always fun to talk to him and pick his brain. Definitely. So, Jason, speaking of you being one of the best on Sinclair, if somebody wants to come out fishing with you, how do they go about, you know, getting in touch with you? Go online. It's uh, Fins and Grins Musky Charters, obviously. Um, and then uh, they email me at finsgrinscharters at gmail.com. Or uh, my number is 586-350-0934. And there's a lot of good fishermen out here. Yeah, Spence, Holder, lots of other good local guys. Not the best. <laughs> no, I wasn't trying to take anything away from anybody else, but you, you no, have I to know, be I recognized, know. Jason. I mean, your name is uh, is one of those names that if somebody says St. Clair, they're going to think about you. So, and, and I, I appreciate think, that. Yeah, absolutely, man. You deserve it. So that's all I'm saying. Thanks, bud. All right, Jason. Well, on that note, let's. Uh, I just want to thank you for, like I said, having a conversation tonight with Brad about musky fishing. <laughs> I think there's a lot of useful information there for people that aren't just fishing in St. Clair. Obviously, if you're fishing St. Clair, you can apply it even easier. But if you're not, you can, you know, you can use it for wherever you're fishing. So, Jason, I hope that you have yourself a great remainder of the season. Hopefully it's not, whatever, 170 episodes before we talk to you again. (laughs) (laughs) And we want to thank our listeners for putting up with us for another episode. We'll see everybody again next Wednesday. 